what a, a great time to be back. Um, you know, I, I was thinking coming over here that um, it's really neat when a pastor comes up through a church. You know, most churches now, I, I retired from Camino Chapel after t almost 25 years. They brought a guy in from Texas, great guy, but they, you know, extracted him from the state of Texas. Uh, here at your church, it's really neat that Tim, like he said, was a woodworker here in your community, and he grew, and he, he, uh, he was part of the CDI you heard about, awesome program. Ron and Marilyn, this has got to be a joy for you to have Tim. Ron, you and your fake knee got to be filled with joy this morning uh, uh, for um, being a part of a church that raises up leaders, not only here, but as you know, around the United States. And it's, it's really exciting. Well, let's uh, turn to John chapter 11 today. John chapter 11. Uh, today I want to talk about uh, the, um, the unshakable Christ and our unshakable confidence in him. So, Father God, I just uh, thank you for an opportunity to be back here with this great church family. My only regret is that Machias isn't closer to Camino Island where I live. We could be here more often, but man, what a great church family. You just feel it when you walk in here. I just uh, I feel a, a love for one another and a sincere desire um, to love you. And Lord, I do want to pause before we study. I just heard this morning uh, about this uh, murder that took place just a couple days here in this community. And uh, I pray for the family of this correction officer that was killed Oh, and I think he had a little baby. Lord, I just pray for that family and for um, the person that that the, the person that did the shooting. Lord, they need you. Lord, I don't know if somehow how you, I know you could reach people in every situation. And Lord, if it's in jail or prison, however, he this person needs to know you. And and Lord, for his family, they're feeling shame. They're feeling um, they're they're grieving of what has happened. And Lord, I just pray that this church family can really gather around in some way, rally around. What an opportunity, Lord. But it's just, it, we talk about being shaken. Something like this can really shake a community. And that can leave an open door for the gospel and for comfort and encouragement. Now, Lord, as Tim said, Pastor Tim, the, the, the inerrant, inspired word that you have graciously and lovingly given us. Lord, I pray that, um, you, you, that you would help me to explain it and interpret it and apply it to people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in uh, March of um, 2001, I was down in the Tacoma Dome at the uh, state basketball tournament. And it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. I remember I was watching the Mount Vernon team play, and they, they were having a timeout. So they were both, both teams were huddled around their coach, and immediately there was a shaking in my seat. felt like the whole dome was shaking. Well, we learned later that was that Nisqually earthquake. Remember that? 6.8 on the Richter scale. Uh, and you could sense a... Um, 
a fearfulness among the people and, and a beginning of panic rising up. And of course, it, it was just quickly going through my mind. You could have a mass pushing for the exit and, and people could be killed, hurt. And immediately from the floor, the announcer in a, in a very authoritative voice said, please remain in your seat. This is an earthquake. Remain in your seat. And there was just a calming in everybody. You had an unshakable authority that, that brought a sense of security to all of us there, several thousand people in the dome. And this is what Christ brings to us. He brings us unshakable confidence because, you know, it's, it's faith. It's, it's not faith that's the deal. It's the person that our faith is in. You know, we can have a faith in Buddha or, or whatever. It's not going to do anything. It's, it's the accurate person of our faith. And Christ is unshakable. We're going to see this in the events leading up to the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus, dead, Jesus comes, calls him forth. And what we're going to see in the specifics leading up to this last great miracle before the miracle of dying for the sins of the world and rising again on the third day, we are going to see Christ's extraordinary poise, his extraordinary timing. You know, God's never late, is he? You probably, if you're like me, I say, yeah, you're always late, God, because I always want it to be done quick. But we've got the poise of Jesus, the timing, and his extraordinary purpose that's revealed here. All right, let's begin in verses 1 through 4. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus' extraordinary poise. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus. Now, the Old Testament name for Lazarus is Eleazar which is, uh, God is my helper. What a good fitting name for Lazarus. God is my helper. God in Christ, Christ the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, is, is going to raise him from the dead. And he's of Bethany, which is north or near uh, uh, Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So John here is identifying who this is and this family that was very close to Jesus. So the sisters sent him. So they send a message saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 4, but Jesus is going to say something quite strange. But when Jesus heard it. He got the message, and what he said is, this illness does not lead to death. Now, it doesn't mean that, talking about Tim said, the Bible does not have errors. What Jesus is talking about, yes, it's going to lead to death, but not permanent death. He, he, he's, he's prophesying, I'm going to raise him, raise him from the dead. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Can you see? Here's a man that is unshakable, the God-man. Perfect poise. Hey, I got this under control. Yeah, yep. It's not going to lead to death. I'm going to raise him from the dead, and it's going to be to the glory of God the Father and God the Son, in whom I am, I am the fullness of deity dwelling in, in human form. It's going to bring glory to me, my purpose, my kingdom, to God the Father. I think when we feel out of control, and I think oftentimes we do in our culture, 
We need to trust that Jesus is completely poised and is in complete control. We need to go back to the source of our confidence. Rather than pushing buttons, pulling levers, spinning dials, trying to figure our way out of a situation, what we need to pause, we need to do is pause and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus with great poise, with control over every situation. You know, I read this, someone once wrote, regarding the cross, really some, many would say Jesus' weakest moment. This, this writer said, the Gospels present Jesus not just in control of himself. I mean, that's a feat in self. Anybody ever feel in complete control all the time? I can't even control myself. The Gospels present Jesus not just in control of himself. Jesus is in control of the events themselves. He is able to determine the outcome. In fact, the writer goes on, Jesus is in control of the entire sweep of human history, even when he went through his death on the cross. Think about that. Jesus on the cross humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, and, and all the, the, the self-emptying, even on the cross, he's in complete control. Jesus said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. Did you know that? But I lay it down on my own accord. My own accord. Complete poise, complete control. Years ago, I saw this painting, and I just glanced at it, and it was a painting, my first glance. Uh, there's the cross, and two Roman soldiers had Jesus by both arms, and, uh, you know, they're heading towards the cross. But it was, on second look, very unique painting because the soldiers were not leaning forward, pulling Jesus to the cross. In fact, the Roman soldiers were holding back Jesus, and he's leaning towards the cross. He's pulling the Roman soldiers toward the cross. John 10, it's my own accord. I'm in complete control, even in this moment of great weakness. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the purpose of his will. You have God's good will, or some say perfect will, and you have his permissive will. His good will is revealed in his word. Thankfully, we have a written uh, documents that tell us what his word, his will is. But beyond that, he's got permissive will that has has evil in it, he allows to happen, but there's always a good outcome. Always for the believer. There's always a good outcome. So his good and perfect will, his permissive will with good outcomes. I don't know about you, but aren't you, I am, I'm just a little bit glad that we've got a God who has poise and control. Can you imagine what it would be like, like the Greek god Zeus or or? Poseidon, you know, the god of the sea. If we had these, these sort of gods, they, they were mischievous, the Greek mythological gods, the pantheon there up at Mount Olympus and all that, and, 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 and they just, they're, they're sort of in control. Is that a terrifying world, a god who's just kind of got it under control? Not a lot, but he's given it his best shot. Can you imagine a universe that we would be living in? Fortunately, we don't. AT&T had a series of commercials. And the, the theme of these commercials was that your wireless network should not just be okay. And one of them was a family gathered uh, around a man uh, 
about to approach surgery. He's in the hospital bed. It's a major surgery. The nurse is in the room, and, and the wife says to the nurse, uh, do you know the surgeon? She says, yes, I do. And he said, uh, is he good? And she says, he's, he's okay. And right when she says that, the surgeon's coming down the hallway, and you hear him say, guess who just got reinstated? You know, and then he comes into the room, and, and now the guy in the bed, you can just see anxiety written all over his face, and, and, and the doctor, the, the surgeon says, hey, uh, are, are you nervous? I am now. And the doctor says, I'm really nervous too, but together I think we could work this out. <laughs> Do you want a God like that? Actually, that's not a God. That's, that's finite, and God is infinite in his character. We have a God that that controls all things, again, Ephesians 1, according to the purpose of his will. Everything in your life and my life personally, everything in this neighborhood, believe it or not, after all that has gone through in the last couple of days here, in this country, in this world, everything is headed on a very clear path. God sees it all. He sees the future as he sees it today. And, and he's heading in a direction. And I believe in these days when so much false doctrine is coming into church, we need to guard Jesus' ultimate control, his sovereignty. This needs to be taught, it needs to be uh, guarded, it needs to be protected, because in progressive Christianity today, there's a popular theology, false theology, called open theism. And, and Machias Church, we need to be careful the definition of open theism is that God does not exercise meticulous control of the universe, but leaves events open, thus open theism. He leaves events open to human choices. Now certainly we have free will, but God directs that free will according to his will. In fact, here's a quote from an open theistic theologian, one of their, their, their real top guns. He wrote this, Open theism's central thesis is that reality itself and consequently God's experience of reality are essentially open rather than closed. This means that God experiences the events of the world he has created, especially the events of human history, as they happen rather than all at once in some timeless eternal perception, which is the biblical approach to it here, truth. And then he goes on to write, this also means that not even God knows the future in all its details. So open theism says God is really, really, really smart, so he can kind of predict what could happen in the future. Is that terrifying? It is to me. I don't want a God that's just okay. I want a God that knows the future. Several months ago, I, I kind of thought, I'm going to try to compare open theism, because I'm very concerned about this, to the Bible. The four key truths of open theism, let me give them to you, and then I'm going to give you what the scripture teaches. We don't have time to look at all the scriptures, I just want to give you the principles. Open theism teaches that God is continually learning new things. The Bible says God has never learned anything. Did you know that God never said, there was never a day when God said, wow, two plus two does equal four. That's awesome. He's known it all for all time. Number two, 
Open theism says God experiences novelty and surprise. I call this the home alone God. Remember that movie, that little kid, when the burglars you know, Can you imagine God on the throne? <gasps> I never expected that to happen. <laughs> Terrifying. The Bible, of course, states God is never surprised. Third, open theism. God is dependent on human actions. Now, Scripture, sometimes when you read, sometimes there's, you know, he changes direction, but he already knows the direction he was going to go beforehand. So I'm like, oh, I better do something here. It's not like that, because the Bible teaches that God is independent of human actions. For God is locked into a sequence of events in open theism, whereas the Bible teaches that God sees all events of all time equally vividly. Think about that. Do you ever feel kind of shaken? To know that Jesus, he sees Everything as it's, it's happening in this moment. So the one true God has never learned anything. He's never surprised. He's independent of human actions. He sees all events of all time equally vividly. Now that is an awesome God. I would sing that old chorus, our God is an awesome, but it wouldn't end well. So I'll, I'll just tell you, if we don't want to break out and say, wow, just with, with adoration in our hearts at least to say, Oh, I mean, we probably on the count, I should do it. Why don't we do this on the count of three? Can we all just go, ready? One, two, three. Yeah, our God is an awesome God. He's got this thing. He's poised. He's in control. Well, what about verses five and six? Jesus' extraordinary timing. Now, this is kind of baffling, and it kind of seems cruel unless we see the whole context Look at this, verse 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, what did he do? He loves them. It's a family dear to his heart. Lazarus, he loves this guy. So, because, you know, the so is the conjunction, junction, what's your function, or whatever that is. So is connected, it's connecting these two sentences. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Jesus was ill, man, he just, he got on his donkey and rode. No. So, because he heard Lazarus was ill and, and, and he loved these, this family, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, John 10.40 says that he was at this time on the other side of the Jordan, which would be about 25 miles from Bethany. So, he gets this message. It's going to be a one or two day journey home. That would leave the timing that he, because he waits a while, he delays, and he's going to arrive at Bethany four days after Lazarus died. That's not very loving, isn't it? That's not very good timing. Shouldn't he have ran? In fact, he, he wound up delaying to where Lazarus was no longer ill. He was the big ill. He, he had died. But he waits. Now, there is a myth among Jewish people at that time, Bible scholars say, that for three days, the spirit of a person, after they died, for three days, they would hover, that spirit would hover around the body. Now, could it be? Now, Jesus would know that that is not true, but because but, to be absent with the Father is your spirit to home with the Lord, to be absent from earth, from the body. But could it be 
that he's saying, I know that myth, and I'm going to prove beyond a doubt that that spirit, the myth says they leave after the third, during the third day, I'm going to wait a fourth day and raise him from the dead. So no one can say, ah, he just resuscitated the spirit that was hovering around the body. I don't know if that's what happened, but clearly Jesus here, he's delaying because of his love for Martha's sister and Lazarus. So he delays. Now, when we see Jesus' extraordinary timing, because he's going to do something far better than heal someone, he's going to raise them from the dead, this reminds us to exchange our limited reasoning for trust in Jesus' limitless wisdom. Because we humans think we know more than we actually do, don't we? We oftentimes we think our, our knowledge is broader than, than what it really is. I read about a, a crime story uh, in Oregon uh, recently. Um, a lady had come home from grocery shopping, and she heard a burglar in, in her bathroom. The bathroom door was shut. She could hear some rustling around in there, some shadows under the door, and so she called 911. The police came. They even, they even brought a, a they, they came at first, and they, they saw there's someone behind this door, and they said, hey, this is, you know, this is the police. Come out with your hands up. Nobody comes up, but you could hear them in there. They brought in a canine unit, uh, guns drawn. They whip open the door, and they look into the bathroom of this, this, you know, hardened criminal. And they look down, and it's one of those Roomba automatic <laughs> vacuum. Life's embarrassing lack of knowledge moment for the police. But they did have a sense of humor on Facebook. They, they explained the whole incident, and the last line was, uh, the, the, Roomba, the Roomba was not taken into custody. However, it was sentenced to years of domestic servitude. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> How limited our knowledge is. The people that think they are the smartest of this world are often so foolish. So foolish. Jesus is limitless, and we see this in this extraordinary timing because he knows where this is headed. Greatest miracle other than him rising from the dead that happens, that he performs, the raising of someone who is dead. Now, if you are in Christ, which means you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you place your full confidence in him and his death on the cross, let me give you four key words that you can, you can hang your hope on. Love, Wisdom, power, and timing. Love, wisdom, power, and timing. All relates to Jesus, God. So think about love. God has perfect love. Therefore, because he has perfect love, he wants what's best for you. Wisdom. God has perfect wisdom. Therefore, he knows what's best for you. Three, God has perfect power. Therefore, he can do what's best for you. And fourth, timing. God has perfect timing. Therefore, he will do what's best for you at the best time. Does that bring rest to you? Love, wisdom, power, timing. Jesus has this in limitless measure. All right, verses 11 through 15, extraordinary purpose of Jesus. Jesus said to them, the them is the disciples that was with him on the other side of the Jordan. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. Now, he didn't, Lazarus didn't doze off. 
he died at this point. I'm going to wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. That's what he thought. Oh, you know, good rest helps you when you're not well. 13, verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't end his words there because it would be without purpose. This extraordinary purpose we're going to see in verse 13. So Lazarus has died. That's the fact. Now he's going to interpret the fact and what is going to occur in the future. He says, And, and here comes the purpose, For your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. He has a purpose. And this is the whole thing with John. John is, hey, I've written these things that you might believe. He's, he's God. And so what we see, and if you go back to verse 4, for what reason that they would believe in the glory of God the Father and God the Son. So we see his purpose. It's all unfolding together. So Jesus uses everything for his good purpose so that we can view our struggles as opportunities for new heights of faith. Okay, God's using this. Jesus has a plan in whatever I'm going through. I read an article about trials from Rick James. He's a theologian. He's also um, <laughs> a big superhero fan. What he said in the article is he said, you know, I, in fact, let me read you. He wrote this. Something about Superman has always irritated me. He goes on to say, you know, it, it's not that he has to go around wearing tights. That's not what irritates him. He said, that's not the intellectual stumbling block for me. I do, however, he said, find it hard to believe that nobody recognizes Clark Kent as Superman merely because he wears reading glasses. <laughs> the problem is that trials are much like Clark Kent. For, for some reason, we seem unable to identify what God is doing and therefore, we would embrace them and the growth they bring. I mean, trials go around wearing reading glasses. And we don't see. They're, they're disguised. And if we can't see the ultimate purposes, we can place our unshakable confidence in the unshakable Christ that I don't know where this is headed. And I don't know what you're going through right now, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. But God's looking down the road just as he did with Lazarus. And you may not know God's purposes, but we can place our confidence in a God of purpose. So our culture is shaking all around us. We may be tempted to find security in an addiction. It's, it's an escape. I, I, can just, I can just kind of check out for a while. Or maybe it's a relationship. That, oh, if, if I could just find the one I think is right and I get married, then, then I'm, I'm going to be secure. And I've talked to single people that desperately want to get married I've talked to married people that desperately want to be single. <laughs> Let's not try to find security in a social media self-helps guru. And guess what? We're in the election cycle. Here we go again. Let's not try to find security in a politician. Haven't we been there, done that? Let's not do that again. Security. True and lasting security 
can only come through the unshakable Christ. If you are saved, which means the penalty of sin has been removed through your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved from the power of sin, you're growing, you're being transformed. If you are saved, Jesus is in you, and you are in him. And I want to tell you, regardless of what's happening in your life, it is well with your soul. It's pretty good. Your future could not be brighter. In fact, your present, you say, man, present's stinking right now. It actually couldn't be brighter because you are in the hands of the unshakable Christ. Father God, we are in a strange, strange world. Get stranger all the time. Everybody's looking for some kind of answer. They're looking everywhere, and oh my goodness, here we go. 2024 presidential elections. It's going to be a weird and wacky year ahead of us. Lord, continually remind us that our hope is in Christ alone. Christ alone. Our hope is in the gospel alone. Listen, just pause in this prayer of today. You walked in the doors. You're a seeker. You can, you know, I'm interested in these spiritual things, and, and that's why you came. I think God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, "Hey, you, you, I've got you here. I'm, you're 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 someone I'm working in." And today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, what an opportunity on this beautiful Sunday morning here to just. In your heart, because God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Did you know that? He knows all things. In your heart, you just simply pour your heart out to him by, by just something like this. Jesus, I, I, I give my full confidence in you. I recognize I've done wrong. I'm a sinner. And, and I need someone to atone for, to pay for my sins. So, Lord, I put my full confidence in you that you paid my death penalty on the cross. I don't know how it was done. It seems like a mystery. It was 2,000 years ago. I don't get it. But I believe, I believe today that in some strange and beautiful way, what happened so many years ago can save me today through faith. And that Jesus rose from the dead. Place your full confidence there. Not in your upbringing, not where you were born in America or, or you know, Grandpa Joe had a faith. Just not, not because of any good works, not because we're in church, but just simply Christ alone, his death alone, his resurrection alone. All faith in him. You place your faith in him. You are now in the unshakable Christ, and the unshakable Christ is in you. And it is now well with your soul. And Lord, for those of us that have been walking with you, just remind us of these truths. Give us confidence in a very insecure time. Our future couldn't be brighter. Beautiful days ahead, just like this beautiful weather day. It's because of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.